1: employment feeding pigs on a farm I wasn't treated too kindly I had to sleep in the barn I had to eat with the swine the bread I ate was like stone it didn't take too much time It on myself.
2: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia, with Pastor Ray Greenlee. There was a young man who was very angry with his dad. He was tired of always being told what he was supposed to do and where he was supposed to go and how he was supposed to act. He was just tired of his dad. He was tired of having to carry all the household chores. He wanted to be on his own. He wanted to be his own man. Go where he wanted to go. Do what he wanted to do. He didn't want anybody telling him what he was supposed to be doing. He thought he was quite mature, quite capable of handling his own life. Thank you very much. So he finally went to his dad. And he said to him, I want what's coming to me. I want my share of the inheritance now. There's nothing he could have said that would have been more insulting to his dad. His dad was alive. Inheritance is not given until dad is passed. He wanted inheritance now. Dad said, Okay. He gave him his inheritance. And off he went to live the good life. Life in the big city. The bright lights. The sound of the dance. Oh, he was loving it. He found friends. He found associates. I mean, everything was going his way. Until he ran out of money. And now what was he supposed to do? He came to an end of himself and there was no net to catch him. On top of that, there was a famine in the land. So he went to work for a farmer, slopping the pigs. And the farmer said, you can eat what the pigs eat. He was absolutely miserable, down in the mouth. Everything he thought would work out had not worked out. All of those he had loaned money to refused to pay the money back. As long as he was Mr. Moneybags, the crowd was coming and the wine was flowing. But now he had no money. And now he begins to think about dad. He thinks about dad and he said, you know what? Dad has servants working for him and they have plenty of good food to eat. And here I am starving to death. Why don't I just go home? I'll tell Dad, look, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Let me just be your servant now. At least he thought I'll have a place to sleep and I'll have food to eat. What would have happened in this story if the young man had found a good-paying job? What if he found a good-paying job? Found himself a nice apartment. Now he has the cash flow coming in. He can live his life any way he wants to live it. And let me ask, would he have gone home? He would not have gone home. He would have lived estranged from his dad and his family. He would have lived over there in that far city. And he would have made a life for himself. And that makes me pose a question tonight to you. How hungry are you for Jesus? How hungry are you for Jesus? Hey, let's say a scale of one to ten. How hungry are you for Jesus? We could be very comfortable in that far country. Thinking we're somebody. There's going to have to be a dramatic change. I'm calling for that change tonight. And that change is to begin to identify every place where we're feasting on the food of the world so that we have no appetite for Jesus Christ. Jeremiah was very clear about this issue. Let me read it for you. Jeremiah, the second chapter, verse 13, he says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. We sing the songs. We worship together. We pay our tithes. We listen to the sermon. But bottom line, we have very little hunger for Jesus Christ. Because we've made a life for ourselves in the far country. You have your flow coming in. So you have your bases covered. We need to begin to identify carefully those areas in our life that are giving us sustenance that cause us not to turn and feast on Jesus Christ. That cause us to turn aside from the cross So that we see the cross, but dimly. Because we're too consumed with what we're thinking and what we're doing. What we're hungry for. Let's be very practical. You'll leave this house tonight and you'll go home. What will you do as soon as you get home? Will you flick on the television? Then the television is what is feeding you. And if you're going to get hungry for Jesus, you've got to cut it off. If you go home and you immediately dive back into your book, then that book is what you're hungry for. And you're going to have to cut it off. If you go back and get into video games, then video games are what you're hungry for. It has to be cut off. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is, this man went into a far country in Luke, the 15th chapter. And he only decided to go home when he got hungry enough and tired enough of the pig slop. Then he said, aha, I have a bright idea. Why don't I go back to my father? But you see, if the farmer had paid him just a little bit more money, he would have been able to make a life for himself in the midst of the pig pen. He could have scrubbed himself up after work and gone in and been the man. That's what we're doing. And it means we've got to begin to carefully examine our food. Why do I say food? Because for many of us, food has been the comforting part of our life. I was raised that you celebrate by eating. I was taught that when you... Deserve a treat, it should be food. I was taught when you're bored, eat something crunchy and salty. You know, when you sit down to do nothing, you've got to have some food to eat. No matter what you're doing, you've got, if you don't, you've got to at least have some gum to chew. That hunger that we're satiating with food, belongs to Jesus Christ. That hunger that is in our spirit, that we satisfy with that novel, belongs to Jesus Christ. That hunger that we satisfy in our soul by going to work and earning money so we can be our own person, that hunger belongs to Jesus Christ. But we take it, we satiate our appetite, and then we're not hungry for Jesus. You know, how many times as a kid? I knew what what time dinner was. But I was hungry now. So I would sneak food. I'd chow down. Then I'd come to the dinner table and I would sit down I wouldn't be taking any food. And dad would say, Raymond, what's wrong? Are you sick? No, I'm just not hungry. Well, that's, that's impossible. Come on, let me help you. And he'd begin scooping the food onto my plate. I knew what that meant. When, when food was put on our plate, we had to eat it before we could leave the table. And so sometimes it would be a couple, three hours later before I could leave the table because I had to eat every bite that was put on my plate. Well, what Dad put on my plate was a reasonable amount of food for a growing young man with an appetite. The problem was I came to the table with no appetite. I had stolen food to satiate my appetite. And so today, some of you come to this sanctuary, and you're kind of sleepy and you're kind of bored. Okay, Pastor Ray's going to preach again. You're really not hungry. Why not? Because you already had your meal before you got here. You filled up on the radio. You filled up on the CDs. You filled up on this and you filled up on that until you come into the house of God and you're not hungry. You have no appetite. You're fat and happy and comfortable. And now you say, Pastor, can you give me some dessert? Well, no, I didn't come to serve ice cream. I came to serve steak and potatoes. And if you come into the house and you want just a dessert of ice cream, something, something light and airy, right? Something that will just fill around all the other things you put in your stomach. I don't have that for you. I just have plain old steak and potatoes. I have Jesus, the Lamb of God, with the power to transform our lives and set us free from every bondage. I have Jesus with the blood shed ready to minister to your hearts. But at the National Prayer Chapel, we're coming already full. So we don't have very much room to eat very much of the meal that's given. The meal is served, but most of it goes in the garbage. Because we can't take in very much. We're already so full. It takes a deliberate choice to be hungry In America, the devil has devised every possible means of satiating our hunger so that we will have no hunger left for the cross of Jesus Christ. I can tell you right now, before you get here, run over to CVS and get a candy bar. You'll have no hunger for the word of God. You'll have no hunger for the word of God. You'll have hunger for the payday or whatever the bar is you're going to buy. You won't want Jesus. You'll want what you want. Often in the past, when Jan would work with someone on eating and losing weight, she would have them write down for a couple of days everything they ate. Now always when she's done that, the people have been absolutely astonished. At what they've actually eaten. When they have to sit down and face another human being and say, okay, this is what I really ate, they're shocked, especially when Jan begins to go through it and look at how much protein was there, how much carbohydrate was there, what part of it was junk food, how much fat was in it. She begins to break all this down so that a person begins to see they've had a, a diet of fat and carbohydrate, almost no protein. And they're saying, why am I so heavy? Well, because you have a diet of fat and carbohydrate, fat and sugar. Fat and sugar make you fat, right? Well, if you begin to write down carefully for a couple of days everything you're taking into your system, through your eyes, through your ears, through your mouth, I suspect you'll find you're primarily taking in fat and sugar. Things that are pleasing to you, things that earn you money, but not very much protein, not much blood of Jesus. Part of what I'm discovering in this walk with Jesus is that nothing happens by accident, there are no accidents where you find yourself tonight is a direct result of actions and decisions that you have made in the past if you keep on doing what you've been doing you'll keep on getting what you're getting in other words your hunger for jesus will not increase if you simply do what you've been doing there has to be a shift there has to be a a change of schedule and behavior This is really a very simple two-step process. One, consecration. Where I finally am willing to say, everything that I know about, I give to you, Jesus. And everything I don't know about, I give to you, Jesus. In other words, I give my life into your hand, Jesus Christ. I give my schedule. I give my my heart's desire. Jesus, I am now giving into your hand everything about me. I'm releasing my children to you. I'm releasing my wife to you. I'm releasing my husband to you. I'm releasing my health to you, Jesus. I am giving into your hand everything about me. And I'm now going to look to you alone to feed me. I will not go feed myself Anymore. You will feed me, Jesus, because I'm now consecrating myself unto you. The second step is also quite easy. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with whatever decision you make about my situation. I'm going to trust you. If I live or die, I trust you. If I'm honored or dishonored, I trust you. And when I am hungry for anything, I will take that hunger and turn it toward you, Jesus, because I am consecrated to you and I trust you. Now, of course, you know what the difficulty is. Can I trust Jesus? Do I really believe that Jesus has my best interests at heart, or do I believe he's a hard man? Do I believe Jesus is going to beat me up and cause me to be utterly destroyed, or do I believe that Jesus has at heart my salvation? Do I believe in my heart that Jesus will treat me better than I could treat myself? Do I believe that Jesus has the ability and the intent of rescuing me? Or do I believe that I have to rescue myself? So it's simply consecrating myself to Jesus and then trusting myself to Jesus. Now, Jesus took the children of Israel out into the desert, away from all of their food supply. You understand, when they left Egypt, they left the infrastructure that provided for their survival. It was slave labor, but it was survival. He took them out, he crossed the Red Sea with them, he closed the Red Sea behind them, so that there was absolutely no way they could escape from that desert alive. They either trusted in the mighty hand of God, or they perished. Now, the scriptures tell us that God did this in order to humble them. And then what did he do? He gave them manna, right? But how did they collect the manna? On their knees. On their knees. So every day, the children of Israel, if they're going to eat, have to get up out of their tent. They have to leave their tent in the early morning hours, and they have to go out and get on their knees in order to reach down, humbling themselves like servants, and collect the manna. So he humbled them, and then he fed them. The problem we have, we don't want to humble ourselves in order to get fed. We expect to be treated like somebody and have a table spread before us, And if God can't do it, we can do it for ourselves. And so we end up with no hunger for God. Now Somehow, we're going to have to come to terms with our being full of the world's food. We're going to have to come to terms with this. Now, you remember the eldest son? He was at home. He never left home. But in truth, he was bitter and angry because he wasn't getting what he thought he should get. He had no hunger for his father's love. He only had hunger for recognition and power. He had no hunger for his father's love or his father's approval. And he had zero love for his brother. Cast the bum out. So... You have a father with two sons, one living in the house and one in a far place, and neither one are hungry for a relationship with him. Neither one are hungry for his heart. They're both using him. One in the far country and one at home. I can tell by the way we come in and sing. I can tell by the way we come in and pray. I can tell by the conversations we hold with one another. There is much on our minds other than the cross of Jesus. There's a lack of hunger in this house, which tells me we're stealing food somewhere. Where are you stealing the food? Some of you are feasting on anger. Some of you are feasting on depression. Some of you are feasting on your jobs. Some of you are feasting on your daydreams. Some of you are feasting on your goals. Some of your feasting on how impossible everything is. It doesn't matter whether you eat the bread of depression or the the bread of success. It all feeds you and satisfies you so you have no hunger for Jesus. The devil doesn't care which side of the table you come to as long as you come to his table and partake of his feast so you won't have any hunger to eat the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I don't mean to be offensive tonight. But I just see we're in a very, very precarious and dangerous position as a fellowship. Because God is not going to move on our part until we come together as one with a burning, a flaming, burning desire that we should know only Jesus. That Jesus is who we need He is who we want and we've laid aside all of those things that we would feast on other than Jesus. Now that doesn't mean you don't go to your job and do what Jesus tells you to do in that place. Your hunger will be in direct proportion to what you give to Jesus. The more you give to Jesus, the hungrier you will be for him. The less you give to Jesus the less hungry you will be for him. This fire of hunger for Jesus only comes out of a heart fully consecrated to him. You cannot trust Jesus with anything unless you put it in his hands. How can I trust Jesus with my health when I haven't put my health in his hands? How can I trust my future when I haven't put it in his hands? How can I have the bondages of sin broken in my heart if I haven't put them in the hands of Jesus? Now, we've come so far. I praise God for how far the National Prayer Chapel's come. I praise God that He's calling you out of darkness and into light. But there is absolutely no place to get comfortable yet because we're a long way out in the desert. And we're not going to come through until we give up those things that we're feasting on, the fats and sugars of life, those things that have no life in them, they just make us sluggish and slow, cause us to have no passion for Jesus. If you have not invested yet your life into Jesus Christ, you will have no hunger for Him. If I had here a trash can full of garbage, And I have over here a table spread with freshly baked bread, a beautiful dinner, a glass of sparkling wine, a beautiful table. And you came in and I said, choose your place. Which table would you go to? Automatically, we would, I'm not going to the garbage can. I want the table. We have to begin to see the world as a garbage can. And Jesus as the table spread before us. We'll never choose Jesus as long as we think he's the garbage can. We're going to have to understand Jesus dying on the cross. Pouring out all of heaven's love and provision for us understand that this is for eternity. The passion for a sin grows in our heart. I must have that. Everything in this garbage can has maggots. It may dress up awful pretty. But if you open the package, you're going to find unclean maggots. It's only over here at the table of the Lord that things are going to be pure and clean and holy and feeds you and nurture you and cleanse your inner heart. We have to come to a clear understanding that Jesus alone is the bread of life. There is no bread anywhere else except Jesus Christ. And when we begin to get a hold of this glorious truth and we stop feasting on the things of the world, our hunger will grow for Jesus. And then... We'll come and stand in our prayer circle. and We'll begin to see the hunger level increasing and the crying out loud for the fullness of sanctification. We'll begin to hear the crying out for the anointing of the Holy Spirit instead of the, oh, poor is me. Woe is me. Bored. What's next? There has to be a change in our hearts or the National Prayer Chapel will never be used by God because there's no fire of hunger in the house. There has to be a change. So I urge you tonight, if you need to shove yourself away from your table and stop filling your belly with food, push yourself away. If you need to turn off the television, turn it off. I can tell you tonight, that no additional serving of mashed potatoes is going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. I can tell you that no program on television is going to break your heart and bring you into the presence of God. I can tell you no sports arena is going to give you a hunger that will bring you into salvation. I can tell you beyond any question that no award at work is going to bring you into the presence of Jesus. I can tell you that no amount of overtime and earning of money is going to bring you into the presence of Jesus. The only thing that will bring you into the presence of Jesus is hunger. And you're going to have to determine in your heart to make yourself hungry by turning aside from feasting on the things of the devil. Even though they seem innocent. And they taste good. Lord I know tonight. There has to be a change at the National Prayer Chapel. Lord my heart is, is broken at my own lack of hunger. It seems Lord I'll go in stages where I'll be very hungry. And then I'll be turned aside to other things. Innocent things that that fill me and take away my hunger. But Lord, they're not you. Lord, I'm asking you to make this congregation hungry. And Lord, I pray by Sunday, we'll be a little more hungry than tonight. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen.
3: Come and reclaim my soul, break down every.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
4: you owe me I enter to Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the wave of glory, let the